From the untamed wilderness to the freshwater shores of the greatest lakes, Michigan's Upper Peninsula is an outdoor lover's paradise and the country's best kept secret. My name is Kristen Ogenimi, a lifelong youper and the newest host of the iconic UP Outdoors television program, Discovering, and it's my honor to carry on the tradition of the best outdoor storytellers of this region. So sit back, listen, and discover what it's like to live and play in this amazing place we call the UP. Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Big Valley Ford, Dodge Chrysler Jeep in Ewan, Michigan, BAM Tools, Hardcore Outfitters of Iron Mountain, and Cooking Wild Seasonings. Welcome to the Discover the UP podcast. I'm Kristen Ogenimi. This week, we're still on the topic of deer hunting in the UP. Last night's episode of Discovering was all about the 2023 deer season. We will be on this topic for a while on the podcast, as it's the biggest concern among sportsmen and women in the UP that our deer herd is declining. If you pay attention to Facebook groups and comments, and even just talking to hunters in real life, everyone is ready to throw in the towel when it comes to deer hunting in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. The deer population is dropping, and hunters are disappointed in the management of deer in this state. I'm no expert. It would take a ton of research and talking to people to get a handle on the problem. And I'll do my best in the time that I have because I don't want to see the tradition of deer hunting and deer camps to die. And I personally like filling my freezer with venison. I could care less if I ever ate beef again. Was this past deer season, with its low harvest, a sign that the deer population is extremely low Or was it the poor hunting weather conditions and less hunters that contributed to the low harvest? Or I'm guessing it's probably somewhere in between there. When you look at the numbers though, over the past decade, the harvest has been dropping and dropping pretty significantly where there's now a lot of concern. We are in year two of mandatory deer harvest reporting. So those numbers are going to be different from how the DNR estimated deer harvest previously with their survey methods. If you compare the 2023 reported harvest to like the 2021 deer harvest survey estimates, the harvest is down 48% in those two years. 2022 to 2023 is down about 25%. And again, we are just talking the upper peninsula of Michigan. The lower peninsula is a completely different world when it comes to deer hunting. So the DNR is still trying to figure out how those numbers compare. And today's interview is with Chad Stewart of the DNR Wildlife Division to talk about these things, how we got here, and what the DNR is doing in response to the low deer harvest in the UP. So without further ado, here is that interview. All right, so here we are talking deer. Um, Before we start, um, do you mind if I post this all on my YouTube channel like I did before? Yeah, what, okay. <laughs> I will stay far away from any YouTube comments, though. I, <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, whatever you need to do is totally okay. Okay, okay we'll see. Um, all right. So I guess, yeah, we're here to talk about the 2023 deer season. Um, I wish we were talking better news about the 2023 deer season. <laughs> but unfortunately, the numbers were low. Um, and I'm sure that's, you know added a lot of more work and a lot of uh, talking that you've had to do about this. 
Yeah, we'll just talk UP specific um, since the UP yeah. and the LP are com- two completely different worlds in all of this. 100%, right. Um, we'll just focus on the UP so that we don't confuse anybody. <laughs> I guess if we just want to start with numbers, um, do you just want to kind of run through the numbers for the UP as far as harvest totals and percentages? You want you just want total harvest numbers? or do you yeah. have, like I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, our, our deer harvest was down, um, in the upper peninsula, uh, about 25%, um, from what was reported this year compared to what was reported last year. Now, again, this is only our second year of going through this reported data. So we still are trying to sort of understand what a non-reporting rate looks like. So just comparing those two numbers on the surface is still a little bit premature yet um, because you know we we always are going to have to try to correct and estimate for whatever is not being reported so we can get somewhat more of an accurate count and we won't be able to do that um, until probably this spring or summer there's no reason not to believe that the harvest was down um, based on all reports that we were getting and, and certainly when you're down about 25 percent um, even a correction uh, upward is still probably going to let you um, fall out a little bit shorter than you know what we saw reported last year. But uh, overall, um, in the UP, we had uh, just shy of seventeen thousand deer reported harvested um, through our through our online app. Uh, about seventy five percent of those, uh, a little over uh, twelve thousand six hundred, were antler deer. And about 4,300 or about 25% were antlerless deer. So a lot of the counties, I mean, it kind of varied throughout the UP. There's 15 counties, um, but you said on average it was about 25%. The West End kind of fared, I guess, worse as far as harvest than the East End, right? Yeah, uh, the the harvest was way down in the West End. Um, Keweenaw was down 41%. Houghton was down just shy of 31%. Ontonagon was down 40%. Uh, Gogebic was down about 39%. You know, going over to Iron, you're at about 38% down. Barriga's down about 37%. Marquette County's down about 40%. Um, and then it and then it improves a little bit. Um, so, but still, still down everywhere. Dickinson was down 23.5%. Even Menominee was down um, 18%. Delta 20% down, Alger 23, Schoolcraft about 23 and a half, Loose 20%, uh, Mackinac about 14 and a half percent, and Chippewa County was down about 12 and a half percent. Okay, so it did get a little bit better towards the eastern side. A little bit. And again, keep in mind, those are all reported numbers. Um, you know, those numbers could change based on, um, you know, the the report that comes through and the surveys that are done at the end of the year. But um, I, I'm still expecting them to be down and, and down fairly substantially mm-hmm. compared to what we experienced last year. So how are you comparing those numbers against the previous like 2021 and before the mandatory online? Yeah, that's a good question um, because you can't take the reported numbers and compare them. Um, exactly the same with the harvest estimate, right? The the methodology and, and the number that's reported are, are two different numbers. You know, before the online harvest reporting, we, we, we put out numbers that is an estimate of total harvest. And within that total harvest is a confidence interval around it. 
the numbers that you're seeing through online harvest reporting is just simply what hunters are offering or, or providing to us from a from a report. So the other way to say that is it's a minimum count. Mm-hmm. And we know that there is not everybody's going to report their their harvest online to us. So mm-hmm. our goal then is to try to estimate what the difference is between the actual harvest and the reported harvest. And it, you know, if it's five percent, if it's twenty-five percent, if it's fifty percent, like we 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 want to know that. And then we then we can compare what the estimated number is for both sides and, and see how the reported number stacks up in terms of the estimated harvest. And that there's a couple year period there to sort of doing both and trying to evaluate what that relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. Once we start to understand um, and, and get a feel for reporting rates, and that seems to develop some sort of consistent pattern, then I think the, the data from the reporting um, side of things becomes a lot more um, accurate in, in terms of our ability to compare year to year within sort of a real-time approach because, um, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have developed that history that we can compare from. Okay. So I think what is the, the, like the rate, um, of non-reported you're estimating is like 30% on 2022. Yeah. Our, our survey, um, specialist, um, he, he estimated a number that was probably in the, I think it was around the 15% 15% range. Okay. So, and that was a statewide number. Now that number is, is going to vary, you know, depending on where you're at in the state. And I think that's probably a more appropriate way to look at it when you start looking at um, differences within each region or within each part of the state, instead of applying just a standard 15% correction to everywhere. In some places you might only have to apply a seven to 10% correction rate in other places, it might have to be closer to 30%. So that's, that's, again, some of the things that we're going to have to tease out, but we are trying to look at this from a, a region to region perspective, so we can get the most accurate information that, that we believe we can. Um, but either way, I mean, it's definitely dropped, um, and especially, you know, comparative to previous years of going back, you know, even to, um, 2021, like you said, it's hard to compare those numbers since, um, that was before the online registration, but what does this, you know, this drop really say about the deer herd up here? Yeah. So, no, I think you're right. I mean, when you compare our, our consistent ways of estimating, or, you know, I think it's fair to say that our, our, our deer herd is, is, is certainly down and, and down considerably in many areas. Um, and obviously that's no surprise to a lot of the, your listeners. Um, I think what it's, I think what it's showing us is that um, I think I think there's a couple things happening. There's um, one, our ability to recover deer is in, in the Upper Peninsula is really struggling right now. Um, you look at some of those counties that I referenced that are down thirty to forty percent from last year in terms of just harvest reporting, and certainly the long-term trend supports those continued declines. Many of those areas we've we've not allowed antlerless harvest to, you know, in, in, in any way, shape or form. And we're still seeing a deer herd that is unable to recover, you know, even pulling complete pressure off from our deer regulations. What that's telling us is that there are external factors besides hunters that are controlling our deer population from rebounding. 
And, you know, we've all talked about what those factors can be. And I think depending on what lens you view it, there's different emphasis that that need to be done. Obviously, the the predator topic is is one that is first and foremost and dominating a lot of discussion. I think it absolutely needs to continue to be part of that discussion. Um, and, and wolves are a major part of that discussion. I don't think we should necessarily discount the impact of coyotes as well, though. Um, so we need to sort of look at everything, um, including um, even potentially, you know, uh, I know there's been issues brought up and concerns with with bear numbers as well. That's been brought up. Um, we continue to maintain that overall habitat quality is uh, a, a major challenge in many parts of the Upper Peninsula. And when that's combined with some of the um, increased and in heavier snowfalls that we've been seeing in recent years, um, all three of those factors sort of create this three-legged stool that's keeping our deer herd down. Um, that's that's that that's really a, a major emphasis of some of our focus moving forward. Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Cooking Wild Seasonings. Cooking Wild Seasonings, flavor and meat. Just mix, heat, and eat. That simple, you bet. Now even easier with our new grab-and-go four-pack cartons. Four combinations to choose from. Whitetail Hunter, Deer Camp, Summer Sausage, and Fresh Sausage. Make it fresh, make it yours. Make it easy. Grab a four-pack today. Available at various locations, including all Chris Northwood's neighborhood store locations. Find out more about Cooking Well Seasonings at cookingwellseasonings.com. Habitat. I mean, there was... You know, so in 2015, the numbers were low. Um, and then there was that UP Habitat Work Group that was formed, um, you right. know, read that, you know, a lot of work was done with Habitat. But is it was not enough work done? I mean, is there still more work that needs to be done or? Yeah, there's absolutely a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, you know, we've we've got and, and a lot of that work needs to come from relationships that we can develop with partners and private landholders, you know, of of the 30, I want to see 35, 36 deer wintering complexes we have in, in our, in our state right now. Um, I think only about 20% of them are on state property, um, or state owned property. So we really need to rely on some of the work and relationships with, uh, private landowners, especially those who are owning, um, identified deer wintering complexes to continue to work forward and improve that. And, and we actually just had a, a, pro- a grant proposal go out um, earlier this week. Um, it's it's called our Deer Habitat Improvement um, Program Initiative um, that that will allow individuals to compete for um, up to a hundred thousand dollars that we're providing for habitat work across the UP, and a special emphasis on our deer wintering complexes. Oh, interesting. Where do people find info about that then? Yeah, it was just a press release that went out, um, but it should be if you just sort of uh, do a, a quick search. Um, it's okay. uh, the the acronym is DHIPI, D H I P I, uh, Michigan UP Grant or anything like that. Um, okay. A lot of that information should be out. It just that that just went out either yesterday or two days ago. Okay, I've asked John Pepin like five times how I for some reason I get the newsletters two weeks late <laughs> like I get like all jeez. Oh, I don't know why I've gone through the steps multiple times and yeah I get a newsletter and it's dated like two weeks ago I'm like 
I've been helpful to know two weeks ago. So I don't know why that happens. Yeah. Yeah. My, my personal email that I get information to get tends to get that those releases a day early. And then I of course have signed up for my government email as well. And that usually happens about a day later. Um, That's not so bad. I don't know. No, it's not so bad. It's not nearly two weeks. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to figure that out. Maybe I'll try a different email address or something there. Um, so what is the state as far as, so part of those wintering complexes are on state, state land. Um, I mean, how are those complexes faring the habitat there? Yeah, they, I think, I think it varies, but, and, and again, there's, there's certainly more qualified, um, individuals up there that are able to speak to this than, than I am. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, th- I, I think in, in many instances, they, there still needs to be some, some help, um, and, and improvement in some of those areas, whether it's, uh, from a, a cover standpoint or just sort of a, a natural forage, you know, that's, that's in and around that, that wintering complex. Um, there certainly needs to be, um, continued improvement to make sure that they are providing all of the resources needed for deer to get through some of these severe winters that we've been recently in, uh, encountering. Mm-hmm. And talking about severe winters, um, I spend too much time reading Facebook comments <laughs> and then I got to oh, shut down <laughs> Facebook. But, um, you know, everyone says we've had severe winters. We've had severe winters. Um, is it... When we're talking severe winter, um, is it just that the winters are going longer than they once were, or is it snow depth, or what is really, you know, I guess hurting the deer when it comes to winter weather? Yeah, and, and the way that it's been communicated to me is that the frequency of the severe winters is increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, yes, we've there have always been severe winters in the Upper Peninsula. Um, but what is sort of defined or classified as a severe winter, which, you know, we, we are defining it as um, over 90 days with uh, 12 inches of snow on the ground. You know, so that's a that's a prolonged impact. And obviously the, the more snow and certainly that higher snow levels um, are, are more likely for deer to burn through those calories a lot faster. Those are what we're calling severe winters and years in past where you might get one severe winter out of four or five years. Now you're getting three and four consecutive severe winters at a time. Mm-hmm. And again, the way it's been communicated to me is that um, Lake Superior is not freezing over as frequently as it has in the past. And what that's doing is it turns into a snowmaking machine as these storms come through these systems come through it's it's picking up moisture and it's dropping it across much of the upper peninsula in terms of higher snowfalls so um you know any one certain intensity of snowfall um or or winter is is maybe less of impactful but it's the frequency of those um those winters that deer are experiencing and their subsequent recovery from it um is really certainly impacting i think our herd's ability to rebound this winter's very mild so far. <laughs> Thankfully, so far, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's bad for a lot of things, but maybe that'll be helpful for our deer herd. I think if there's any year that um, a, a mild winter is welcome, this might be the one. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, I've, I mean, is it just a combination of, you know, like you said, all three is just like too much for the deer herd? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of factors going on. And, and I think if it was just one of those factors, um, 
you know, I think I think our deer herd would probably be in a better place. But I think what's happening right now is that uh, the deck is is really stacked against deer in many of our place in many of our spots in the Upper Peninsula. Um, you know, we've got we've got the severe winters that are rolling through. We've got the aging and sort of degraded winter habitat that's that's also available. Uh, that's compounding those effects. And then when you um, include, you know, any type of potential predator impact to that, um, it's certainly going to rile up a lot of people. They're going to start to see differences and, and notice those differences on uh, on the landscape and uh, create some very challenging um, hunting situations. They're riled up. There's no doubt about that. So when talking about, you know, so we're, you know, the population's low and stuff. So that is where you're getting your estimate on how many deer is based on the harvest, right? Of how many, well, like, or do you have like a population estimate for deer in the UP? We we do not have a population estimate in the UP or even in the lower peninsula. You know, the development of a population estimate is really, really difficult. And even when you, so it takes a lot of a lot of effort to go through and develop what that estimate looks like. And then once you get the estimate, there's typically a very wide range of confidence associated with it. And so when you factor in that wide range, it's not really informative. And what we have found is when you track other trends like like harvest data or, or hunter success, things like that, it, it it correlates actually pretty well with what you're hearing from the public in terms of um, you know, what what their experience with deer deer numbers look like. So I think there is a better way to look at things and, and use um, harvest as sort of a proxy for overall deer numbers and deer population size. Okay. Yeah, I was um, reading part of the deer management plan last night, you know, good, good reading mm-hmm. material before bed. <laughs> that will definitely put you asleep. <laughs> so it was last updated in 2016, right? Yes. When, how often does that get updated? Usually every 10 years. 10 years, what that's what I figured. It. Yeah, okay. yep. that was one of the first uh, projects when, when I first came on. It was uh, either either uh, lapsed or, or soon to be lapsed. So that was a big effort in 2015. And then it was, uh, I think, approved in 2016. So yeah, within a couple of years, we'll be looking to revise what that deer management plan looks like uh, once again. Okay. I guess that brings me to... Um... Um, before I get there, so seeing what ha- you know, the deer herd, the harvest um, totals and stuff, is the DNR, and I imagine this is something that you're going to be working on over the next several months, going to recommend any changes as far as um, hunting regulations, you know, n- amount of deer, no antlerless, um, antler point restrictions, anything? Yeah, so what, one of the things that we're starting right now is we're, we're creating a, a new sort of uh, approach. Uh, it's just recently it's just recently announced uh it's called a deer management initiative basically what it is is we are developing two different work groups one specific to the upper peninsula one specific to the lower peninsula and we're going to have uh a couple biologists on it from from staff and and like a law enforcement officer but the most uh, the majority of the um group will be made up of members of the public, and uh, many of those will be stakeholder leaders, you know, that are representing a larger group, but also um, at large or or non-affiliated individuals as well. Um, And it's to really help uh, co-create what the future management of of deer looks like. So we'll be able to tap into 
everybody's sort of personal experiences. Um, we'll try to set a level playing field for everyone um, in terms of you know bringing forward the data and information that we use to develop those recommendations, uh, make them widely available to the group, and then we'll sit down and have some really difficult conversations. And that 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 effort should conclude in early May. Um, the hope is to try to get something in place uh, before we can, you know, before the 2024 season and, and get in front of our Natural Resources Commission. It's going to be a pretty intensive process, though, and it'll um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. It, it, a lot will depend on how quickly these groups can come to some type of consensus in terms of what the desired path forward uh, looks like. Okay. Yeah, that's like four months from now. Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by BAM Tools. My friend Andrew wants to help support this podcast, but didn't know how he should advertise his business. So here goes. BAM Tools is a small, family-owned, and operated business out of Ewan, Michigan, but they cover the entire UP, delivering tools to all sorts of businesses. Inside the tool truck are hand tools, power tools, automotive shop supplies, and so much more. I should tell Andrew I need a new Grizzly cooler, preferably blue. BAM Tools is also a tech tire supplies distributor, and Travis is the guy behind the wheel of that truck. So if you see Andrew or Travis in a BAM Tools truck, tell them thanks for supporting this podcast. When you're talking stakeholders, um, leaders of stakeholders, are you talking like sportsmen's clubs or... Yeah, sportsmen's clubs, um, you know, different different deer specific groups. Um, we'll we'll have some individuals on there with uh forestry backgrounds, ecology backgrounds, um, certainly looking for and, and looking through um some of the applications, you know, individuals who might run a an outdoor uh sporting goods business in the upper peninsula. Um, if someone is a processor or a taxidermist in the upper peninsula, you know, just trying to really be inclusive with, um, the individuals that can be represented in that group and all the different perspectives that they can provide. Um, because clearly we're, we're missing something in terms of, of management and hopefully this is an opportunity to fill in some of those gaps. How many people are you looking to put in each group? Yeah, we so we feel that uh, a reasonable working group to work with is is about twenty individuals, and that that number is fluid. You know, if it goes to twenty one or twenty two, um, you know, so be it. Uh, um, it's really more about uh, making sure that every side is represented, but there's not so much influence on one side. You know, we don't want to create these groups to have an echo chamber where five or six people are saying the same thing. You know, we want a lot of different perspectives in that room, um, looking at things very differently. And, and we feel that's the strongest way to develop some of these uh, policies in terms of management is to get a lot of these individuals with different perspectives together um, and come to some sort of general consensus with how we should be managing our, our, our deer resource. Okay. So, I mean, I see 20 people in a room, like I'm in a conference room here in Newberry um, at the DNR office here. And I can just picture 20 people just a arguing or, you know, I'm just, I mean, is there like a set, like, you know, you list of things that you want this group to comment on and talk about and 
you know, come away with, you know, at the end of the end, the end of this few months? Yeah, yeah, we'll have uh, so part of these groups, they will all be led by a professional facilitator uh, that will be able to sort of control. It's not just going to be a free for all discussion. (laughs) It'll be very targeted in terms of what we're discussing. So, you know, in the Upper Peninsula, you know, we'll we'll certainly be talking about um, uh, uh, habitat management. Uh, We'll be talking about deer regulations. Uh, We'll be talking about uh, predators. We'll be not that we can control or manage for it, but we'll have someone come in and talk about, you know, climate and weather and and all that sort of stuff. Just just to give everybody sort of a taste of some of the information that we are we are looking at and have looked at in the past. But, yeah, it's uh, long term and short term recommendations are what we expect to come out of these groups. So things that are actionable in the near future, one year to two year period. And we also recognize that there are probably longer fixes that need to be done. And that that's something that can come out and we can start working on. But, you know, it's not something that's going to be resolved within a, a two year period. Okay. I was thinking about attending one of these meetings. Do you have any dates? I mean, set yet or anything for? No, the meetings are are still sort of being formed. We're going to have an in-person meeting um, towards the end of April, the beginning of May. Um, I think will be the Upper Peninsula one. Um, it's it's going to be in a, a fairly small room. I mean, we'll we'll probably have uh, the presentations and stuff made publicly available. But you know, a lot of these are members of the public that are coming in to mm-hmm. to talk. So you know, we want to we want we want those conversations to be sort of unbridled. Um, so the the venues that we'll have will be fairly fairly small um, where we're going to be having these conversations, and we're not expecting them to be open to the public. So they're only meeting once then or are they meeting multiple No, we'll times? have multiple. Oh, we'll okay. have multiple meetings. Yeah. Um a lot of the meetings we'll have will be virtual. Um okay. that we'll be going through and discussing and because we're 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 so we're talking about the present and the future of deer management in places like the Upper Peninsula. I think I think an important part of that is to certainly look at who those individuals are be most effective. So, you know, individuals in their 20s, 30s, 40s, um, many of those many of those folks are working right now. So we're probably looking at a lot of evening weekends, a lot of uh, maybe weekend meetings as well. Um, But because this is a really broad uh, encompassing effort, um, I think I think the travel limitations would be prohibitive to have in-person meetings very frequently throughout February and March, especially in the UP, not knowing some of those travel conditions might be like. So I think we're going to try to do a bulk of the work virtually, but we also feel it's really important to have um, some sort of get together towards the the end of the uh, end of the winter, beginning of the spring, where we can do a lot of that work um, through some, some sort of a, a formalized process okay. to build up what the final recommendations look like. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, we're kind of still hoping February, March gives us some snow, you know. (laughs) Right, right. So, okay, that all makes sense then. I guess, you know, this deer management initiative came out of, you know, this past deer season. Um, Was this low harvest total kind of just like almost like a blessing in disguise or just something that says, hey, we have a problem here. We need to fix it. That's a really good question. I. I think we've been recognizing that there's been um problem, a lot of challenges for for several years now, right? Um, you know, part of part of the burden of, I guess, 
government and, and deregulations, it's it's like you have to build up sort of a series of a series of data to sort of evaluate, right? Because you can't really put any stock in one given year because mm-hmm. something could happen that just is sort of an anomaly. Um, but what we've started to experience um, are these sort of cyclical waves in how deer seem to be um, being being managed in the Upper Peninsula. Like when I came to Michigan in late 2014, um, and then certainly going through the first full deer season in 2015, that was a really bad deer season for a lot of hunters in the Upper Peninsula. Deer numbers were very, very low, um, probably on par with what we're seeing now. I don't know if they were a little bit better, a little bit worse, but the harvest numbers certainly are very comparable to what we are experiencing today. What happened in between that time, though, was a slight recovery. Um, you know, things things were still not great. But they were still they were they seemed to be on the on the improve throughout that like sort of late 2010s, early 2020s time frame. And and obviously it sort of dipped in recent years again. So we've sort of recognized that this pattern is starting to exist and that it's probably not a pattern that we want to be in. But we didn't get to this point over just a couple of years. This has been building for a while. And certainly when we talk about lack of habitat quality or, you know, poor, um, poor, poor quality with deer wintering complexes. It's something that didn't happen just over the last 10 years. This has been a brewing situation for decades. And I think we're serious about resolving it, but we're certainly realistic that this is not going to be a quick fix and it will take time to sort of build some of that up. And that's where I think some of these incorporating some of these newer voices um, that previously have been absent from the discussion might be very helpful. Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Big Valley Ford Dodge Chrysler Jeep in Ewan, Michigan. When I'm traveling around the UP, I'm surprised and not surprised by how often the vehicle in front of me has a Big Valley sticker on it. Big Valley Ford Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is located in the tiny town of Ewan on the west end of the Upper Peninsula. People from across the region buy their new and used cars and trucks from Big Valley and they drive all the way back to Ewan to get them serviced. Which reminds me, I'm probably due for an oil change myself. I'm on my fourth new Ford vehicle with over half a million miles under their tires, so I'm probably due for a tire rotation too. Big Valley is a one-stop shop for all your vehicle needs with a full service department, parts department, and body shop. I got caught in a hailstorm once with my last truck, and they made it look just like new. If you're looking for a new or used vehicle, go see them in Ewan or check out their inventory online at bigvalley.biz. So, I mean, because you predicted, I know you you had like a, a, I don't know if it's a Facebook post or a video or a letter, um, maybe it's a letter you wrote that just, you said that you predicted deer harvest numbers were going to be low this year, um, in the upper peninsula. Um, and it was, um, definitely low. (laughs) So yeah, they were, they were low. I don't know if anybody saw this level of drop coming this year. So, um, again, uh, one of our researchers up there, um, has developed a, a sort of a predictive model that that works really well in terms of 
estimating what the overall buck harvest is going to be in the Upper Peninsula. And it looks at um, some of the camp survey data that we have uh, and collect every year. It also looks at uh, some of the the recent trends that we've been seeing from 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 winter severity. And it does a very good job at predicting what the next year's deer harvest looks like. And it projected it to be very similar to, to last year, 2023, just very similar to 2022, maybe down a, a little bit. And, and certainly what we're seeing is um, a more dramatic decline than that. So mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why we certainly want to look at reporting rates to make sure that there's nothing being masked there. But also we need to go back and revisit that model because um, it certainly missed that year last year quite a bit if if that in true, indeed holds true. The weather, I'm sure, didn't help for the first few days of the opening of deer season. I mean, it was unseasonably, it's like unseasonably warm all the time now. Um, it was unseasonably warm. Right. Um, there was no snow. Um, it was windy. It was dry. It was tough out there. I don't know if the deer go nocturnal at that point or, you know, what. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that you certainly we saw in like our northern lower peninsula and, and, and even parts of our southern lower I don't know if it was quite as predominant in the Upper Peninsula, just because um, you know there are many areas that don't have quite as many oaks. But we had an incredible acorn year mm-hmm. this year throughout much of Michigan. I don't know if that's going to be reflected in in um, hunters' experiences up in the Upper Peninsula, but um, certainly acorn production can drive deer movement and make them change quite a bit. Um, some of the things that I've been hearing from some individuals up there is that with the lack of snow cover, some acorns are still present in some areas. So it's giving this extra protein boost at this time of year when they they typically don't have that available, just given the, the lack of snow and the abundance of acorns that were experienced. So that could certainly influence um, deer's, a deer's willingness to come into bait because there's no longer a reason to go to a bait pile if there's acorns all throughout the the forest. So um, it's just one just one extra wrinkle, one extra thing to consider when we look at just one year's worth of data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did go hiking, hunting, and found a beautiful like oak forest. It looked like a park. I mean, no, there's no underbrush or anything, so I don't know if deer would like that or what. But if I was a deer, that's where I'd have been. But I didn't see any. <laughs> yeah. But it was a beautiful spot um, and it was warm, like I said. Kind of going into the hunters, you know, there was that increase in hunters, but is there a way to know, like, you know, tags sold in Michigan, how many of them actually hunt in the UP versus lower peninsula? And, you know, with there being so many deer in the lower peninsula or more people hunting down there compared instead of coming up to the UP, just, you know, their chances of shooting a deer downstate might be a lot better. Yeah, so we we develop estimates in terms of uh, hunter numbers for each county, for each deer management unit. Ob- obviously, it's an estimate. Um, the The number of total, the total number of license sales and individual licensed buyers is is generally a good indicator of overall participation, and it's it certainly doesn't equal that. There's there's many individuals that go out or purchase a license with every intent to go out hunting and that for some reason or other, they just never quite make it out. And, and that's, that's a generally small percentage, but it could be tens of thousands of people when it's all said and done at the end of the year. Um, anecdotally, I've, I've heard exactly what you're saying that, you know, we have a lot of people that live in our, our lower peninsula, but maybe have camps or like to travel up to the upper peninsula. And they're finding out that 
it's it's not it's not worth the effort to go up there anymore, especially from from a deer hunting standpoint, because they're far more likely to be successful at harvesting a deer wherever they hunt in the lower peninsula. Um, but that camp culture is still very important to a lot of families, a lot of uh, friendships. It's not something we obviously want to see go away. So that's why it's um, continues to main, be important to try to take the right path forward to improve improve deer hunting up there uh, in the Upper Peninsula. So those those traditions don't die. Oh, definitely. Um, I've done a lot of documentaries and a lot of videos on, you know, deer camps, hunting camps. Um, it's definitely a huge part of our tradition up here. Um, and strangely, but not strangely, going to my YouTube videos, I did one on a deer camp um, in November. And within just weeks, it shot up to 100,000 views. Whereas wow. my view count before that averaged about 1,500. <laughs> wow. So people are very interested in deer camps and that yeah. tradition. Definitely like to see that stay. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel here? I think so. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, the alternative is to say there's not a light at the end of the tunnel and then what's the point in fighting, right? So... No, there's got to be. Um, but, you know, I think I think one of the things that we have to do is 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 what we're starting to do is is open, open our ears a little bit more and have everybody approach this with a, more of an open mindset and try to understand what the issues are. Like, I, I, I don't believe this is a singular issue problem that is causing some of the 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 low numbers that we're experiencing. I, I I believe there's like it's like an onion. There's multiple layers to this. And I think we need to start addressing all three of those um topics that that are out there, at least what we can control um in terms of improving management. And it's it's gonna take a lot of resolve and it's gonna take sort of a, a lot of dedication to make that happen. And and there's gonna be some really difficult conversations that go along with that. But as long as everybody has the same goal in mind um, in terms of improving deer management, improving deer hunting, um, I think we can find some common ground in what that looks like. It's just the process leading up to it might be messy, but as long as we can recognize that everybody's viewing this from the same lens of wanting something better, then I think we have a lot more that keeps us together than would divide us. Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Hardcore Outfitters of Iron Mountain. Hardcore Outfitters strives to promote and instill an enjoyment of the outdoors for all ages and individuals. Whether you're already an avid outdoors person who enjoys the thrill of the hunt or newly learning the art of archery, sharpen your skills at their indoor archery range and check out their line of products from Matthews, Hoyt, Bear, Raven, Centerpoint, Tenpoint, and Wicked Ridge. If being on the water drives your passion and has you hooked, they have an impressive selection of year-round fishing gear, plus a full-service bait shop and the largest selection for fly fishing the UP. Go to Hardcore Outfitters in Iron Mountain, tell them I sent you, and discover what outdoor hobby or adventure awaits you. I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy and going back to those Facebook comments um, that, <laughs> you know, the DNR doesn't care about deer, you know, they, but I mean, I can't believe that's true. <laughs> it 100% is not true, right? Because um, most DNR officers that they, they run across, whether it's a biologist or certainly a technician, they, they live and recreate, they chose that 
job or that career path because they care about the resources, right? Like, um, I mean, I, I like to say to people that I've been a deer biologist in Michigan for nine years. I, I was a deer biologist in another state for eight years, but I've been a hunter for over 30 years now. So like, I have a lot more experience hunting than I do <laughs> managing deer or, or being a deer biologist. So it's what it, it's, it's those passions and interests that, that have caused certain people to choose to go into a career path. So um, we do not enjoy difficult conversations. We do not enjoy, you know, poor harvest numbers, bad seasons, um, people telling us that they're not seeing deer and that their kids are not interested. It, it literally hurts. Like we do not want that path to be experienced. Um, we, we, we want to work to try to improve it. So that's, if, if, if anybody gets anything out of this, I hope that there's sort of a personalized approach that yes, there's DNR, yes, it's government, but the people that work in there are, are, are humans and they are passionate about this topic as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I mean, I've hunted for maybe a decade or so and, you know, been obviously active in the outdoors and learning about everything just over the last five years doing this show and stuff. And I guess I was naive and just think that there would just always be deer there or you know there would always you know I could walk out in my backyard and shoot a buck anytime I wanted but unfortunately you know that that isn't the case and no I mean so much comes down to habitat quality right I mean if the habitat quality is not conducive for an animal to be there the animal will not be there um and and that's that's sort of like biology 101 so when we start to evaluate some of these these things it's it's what is what is keeping deer from living in this area right now and a lot of times it's it's not regulations you know our regulations are very conservative in many of these areas and and in many cases we're preventing you know the the potential for over harvest and of deer in some of these areas but we're still not seeing that recovery so that in and of itself sort of tells you that there's habitat quality issues that are happening that really need to be addressed. And we know what deer like, deer like early successional forests. So um, the best way to do that is to make sure that there is plenty of browse, um, plenty of, um, you know, a high quality forage throughout the summertime. But also because this is sort of at the end of edge of their range um, in this in this geographic area, we know that they are subject to really bad winter conditions. And the fact that deer exhibit migratory behaviors in many parts of the, the, the UP sort of tells you that there needs to be a priority on some of those wintering habitats as well. And I think there's we've fallen short in that in recent decades and, and it'll take time to, to recover from that. But we know what the we know what the issue is. It's just a matter of how to fix it. So we can get out of some of these cycles that we're seeing. Lots of work to be done. <laughs> That's pretty much the gist of it. Lots of work. Yeah, yeah. It's we're a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> we're we're nowhere near to being done. Correct. Right. So I mean, going to the prediction model, and obviously, it's like I said, it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. We're not going to expect these numbers to rebound overnight or anything. So I mean, kind of just you know, twenty twenty four. We don't really expect to be much better than. 
2023? I mean, we'll see what certainly this winter brings. Uh, there's still a lot of winter to play out in the in the UP. Um, I think we're off to a, a good start in terms of being mild impacts on the deer herd. Um, I, I, I do have optimism that over the next couple of years, our deer herd will start to recover a little bit in places. I'm not saying that there's going to be a deer behind every tree. There's still going to be really difficult hunting conditions in some of those areas. But if the next 10 years is anything like the previous 10 years, where we, we've started to see this cycle happen where we sort the bottom out and then we start to see a very slow recovery to better, not great numbers. Um, so that's that's my short-term optimistic view that things will get better. Again, I think there's still more room for improvement beyond that. And I think from a, a goal standpoint, we need to think bigger than that. But uh, and, and that will take time to get to that point. But I, I do think that over the coming years, there's there's certainly the potential for for improved hunting. But again, that's we're, we're at a low bar right now. So I understand how that could be perceived. Right, right. And as far as predators, I mean, it's not like we are going to be less any predators in the next many years to help. Yeah, that. I mean, obviously, one of the big concerns right now um, that that we hear a lot of, and I'm certain you hear a lot of, is is you know the wolf population. Um, and it's worth reiterating that our agency would would prefer to have statewide. Um, jurisdiction of management of wolves. We would prefer to have wolves um, managed by uh, the department, by by individuals in our state, um, with you know regulations set forward by the Natural Resources Commission. We do not have that capability right now. They are federally listed as a endangered species. Um, that's that 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 animal is managed more in the courts right now than on on the ground and. We would like to get out of that cycle, but we are not out of that cycle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what, so. I mean, we have to look at other ways on how we, since it's not possible to manage that. Correct. Right at this time, we do not have the ability to manage wolves. So yes, it's 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 coming up with ways to ensure improved survival for white-tailed deer, and that goes anything from um adult deer to in, in improving um any type of reproduction or recruitment of fawns into an older age class those are the things that we should be able to control into the future and again a lot of that starts with habitat anything else you'd like to add <laughs> <laughs> no i think we covered quite a bit um hopefully hopefully people aren't going to be too bored with this hopefully or too not. riled up with or it too riled up. Well, i mean yeah, yeah. Somewhere in the middle of that spectrum would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, of course. Nice talking with you again, Kristen. Yes. We'll see you. I'm sure probably some meeting at some point here. <laughs> I'm sure our paths will cross at some point. Yes, for All sure. Right. All right. Have All a right. good day. Take All care. Right. Yeah, you too. Bye. I'm hoping to hear some positive results and some new ideas for managing our deer come out of that deer management initiative and I am anxious to see what happens with regulations next season. Next week, we take a week off of white-tailed deer and talk about saunas and other things, but then we will be right back on the deer topic with a couple of other sportsmen that I interviewed. 
So thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next Discover the UP podcast.